Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. John's Gospel, reading there in the second chapter, beginning at the 18th verse. Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. And it is a morning, isn't it, even though it is cold, but I do hope that we are happy to be in God's house this morning to worship him. Today, as you know, is the first Sunday in the Lenten season. It goes by the Latin name of Invocabit. If you didn't plunk your Latin in high school, you remember that Invocabit means he shall call. And it gets its name from the first word in the intro for the day in the Latin, Invocabit, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. And so as we have come into the Lenten season, uh, we naturally are going to look at some of the things that pertain to this season of the year. And the text that I just read is very appropriate for this time of the church year. Jesus spoke these words of our text in the temple at Jerusalem. Uh, he spoke them at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. He had started his ministry of three years, went up into Galilee, you recall, and then he came back from the wedding in Canaan. He went to Jerusalem because it was the time of the feast of the Passover, and he was rather unknown at the time, but he went into the temple, and this was the time when he cleansed the temple for the first time, when he chased the money changers out of the temple. And it was quite an uproar that occurred, so much so that after he had done it, that those who were the leaders of the temple, they came to him and they questioned his authority in these things. And they said, where do you get the authority for doing what you're doing? Where do you get the authority in religious things? And then they said, in order to show us that you have this authority, they said, give us a sign. Give us some kind of evidence. Give us some kind of a miracle, we ask you, in order to prove that you have the authority in religious things that you are using at this time. And I wonder, here we are in the 20th century, whether some of us don't challenge him too at times, even though we may not want to. We may challenge him and say, Lord Jesus, where do you get the authority in religious things that you claim you have? You claim that your religion is the only true religion. You claim that it is reliable, that it is trustworthy. You claim that we can rest our eternal destiny in your religion that you call Christianity. And we may say, where is there any evidence? Oh, Jesus, why don't you give us a sign? Why don't you give us some evidence in order to prove your authority in religious things? Why don't you give us some kind of a sign, some kind of a manifestation, some kind of an external miracle? 
that we can know for certain that your religion is the only true religion as you claim, that it is reliable, that we can stake our eternal destiny on it, and that when death comes we will not be disappointed. Jesus, why don't you give us a sign? Please do. How many of us have felt that need and have really challenged him? Rather amazing. Today, in the 20th century, Jesus would say, I'll give you that sign. You're asking me for evidence that I have the authority in religious things. You are asking me for this evidence, some kind of a miracle, in order to prove that my religion is the one and the only true religion on the face of the earth, that it's trustworthy, you can stick your destiny on it, and it'll never disappoint you. Jesus says, I'll give you that sign. He gave it nearly 2,000 years ago at the beginning of his ministry in the temple in Jerusalem. And when they asked him and challenged him, give us a sign, he said, I'll give you one. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And John, the gospel writer, reminds us that he wasn't talking about the building, that he was talking about his body. In other words, when they challenged him and said, where do you get the authority for what you're doing? How does it come that you claim that you have authority in religious things? Uh, you give us a sign, and Jesus says, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the, the evidence. The evidence is this, my death, followed by my resurrection. And today in this 20th century, from his word, he says to you and me, you're challenging me. You are saying, oh, Jesus, give me some evidence. Give me some kind of a miracle, some kind of a manifestation that you have authority in religious things, that your religion is true and it's the only one that's true and that I can stick my eternal life on it and I'll never be disappointed. And Jesus says, yes, I'll give it to you. And this is it. Jesus says, my death followed by my resurrection. We may say, oh, Jesus, uh, please, uh, that, that isn't very good evidence. We may say, we want some real evidence. We want a real miracle. We want something that is an external manifestation that will just clinch this. And Jesus says to you and me, wait a minute, son, daughter. The evidence that I gave nearly 2,000 years ago, my death followed by my resurrection, this is the finest evidence. This is the greatest miracle. This is the finest sign. Uh, there isn't any better. I couldn't give you any better evidence. But I give you this, my death, followed by my resurrection. Jesus says, it's tops. It's top drawer. There isn't any finer evidence. I want you to know this, that my death, followed by my resurrection, this gives you all the evidence and it proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that I have authority in religious things, that my religion is true, it's trustworthy, it's reliable, that it's the only true religion on the face of the earth, and that again, you can stick your eternal destiny on it. You and I may look at it this morning. We may say, Jesus, do you mean to say that your death followed by your resurrection, that it's the greatest, that it's the finest, it's the most noble, it's absolutely infallible, it's incontestable, that this evidence proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that your religion is the only true religion and we can trust it through thick and thin and we can face death. Jesus says, yes, there isn't any better. In the first place, he reminds you and me that his death followed by his resurrection. It's the finest, it's the greatest because he assures us that it proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was no less than God. I wonder sometimes if we appreciate the evidence that Jesus has given with regard to his religion. 
I know that there are times when you and I group and we want certainty. We cry out, oh Jesus, give me a sign. Uh, give me something that is extra. Jesus, I've given it to you. My death, followed by my resurrection. When you and I look at him, we say he died and he rose again. And we know that he did because he appeared to his followers. Then we can say to ourselves, what greater proof would I ever need? But what he was divine than the fact that he died and he rose again. He must have been God. Oh, with all the miracles that he performed, and we know that he performed them. How he healed the sick. How he raised the dead. But we'd say when he died, could he raise himself? This was the tops in all signs. And he raised himself after he died. And therefore you and I can say, I know this for a certainty. This proves beyond the shadow of doubt that he is no less than God. And therefore Jesus says, this is top proof. This is top evidence because you and I can have this assurance. It proves beyond the shadow of a doubt it's the greatest of all proofs that his religion is genuine, that it's true and it's the only religion in the world because this proves that his is God's religion. It's not man's. You may say, can we rest our eternal destiny on the fact that Christ's religion is God's religion, that it came out of heaven, that it's not man's religion? And therefore, that it's the only true religion, that isn't hard. The fact that he arose from the dead after his death assures you and me that he was no less than God. He had to be. To be able to raise himself, here was demonstrable evidence. And therefore, we have this proof that being God, Christianity came out of heaven. And that isn't difficult. If we didn't have Christianity, Christ's religion, do you know that we would never know the true God? Oh, I know that every religion's got a God. And I know that in man-made religions, men fashion their own gods. But did you ever hear of a God like the God of Christianity? This came out of heaven. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, says the word of God. God says, I am one and the only true God. There aren't any other gods besides me. Jesus says, he who was in the bosom of the Father, he who was God, he's revealed him. What does Jesus tell us about God? It must have come out of heaven. Who would have ever dreamed that God was one God and yet triune? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Who would ever assume that here on earth three times one equals three, but in heaven three times one equals one? Who would ever have assumed that? This must have come out of God. No man could ever have dreamed that. And then Jesus reminds you and me that his religion came out of heaven because our God, our triune God, he is eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He never had a beginning. Our God is all-knowing. He's all-wise. He never makes any mistakes. God is everywhere present. God is holy. Think of it. Without sin. God is a righteous God. He's always fair. And above all, God is the God of love. Think of it, if Jesus had not brought Christianity, no man would ever have known that God loved him. I wonder if we realize that there is no word love in any other religion on the face of the earth. When you and I cry out and say, Christ, you're asking me to stake my eternal destiny on your religion, and I want to be sure I want to sign, Jesus says, I've given it to you, my death, followed by my resurrection. This is God's religion. God loves you over 400 times in Scripture. Yet the word love is not found in any man-made religion. This must have come out of heaven. And because it did, it's true. And God is reliable. And therefore, when we cry out sometimes in our distress and we say, I challenge you, Jesus, don't misunderstand me. I don't want to be irreverent. But I want you to, to give me a sign. Give me something external. 
Give me something that I can sink my teeth in, that I know that your religion is the true one and it's the only one, and that I can really go into death and I can stick my eternal destiny. And Jesus says, I'll give it to you. He says again, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. It is incontestable proof that he was God and that Christianity is religion that came out of heaven. It's God's religion. It isn't man's. Man would never have dreamed such a God. And therefore today on the first Sunday in Lent when we challenge him, and it may again be something that bothers you and me, and we say, I would to God that I could have certainty of that again, that Christ is the authority in religious things, that his religion is true and reliable, that I can depend on it, and I can stake my eternal destiny that when I face death I can hold on to him. You and I, Jesus says, you can do that. You asked for a sign, I give you the greatest. There isn't anything that is any greater than what I've given you, my death followed by my resurrection. And when you and I believe that, then we ought to say this, if we've never taken a look at him in your life and mine, the opportunity comes and it's starting tomorrow night. Have we ever taken a look at him? Or do we just stand and hear saying, just take what somebody else's word says about him. Have you and I ever looked at him and looked at the sign, Christ who died, who rose again? No man is born with religious knowledge. No man is born with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What we're going to do starting tomorrow night is just take a look at him. Yes, without any questions asked, without any embarrassment, that we'll stand, let's take a look at him. They didn't understand in that day when he said destroy this temple. They thought he was talking about the temple building. And they looked at him and they said, why, it took us 46 years to build this temple. And you mean to say you can rebuild it in three days? Why, that's ridiculous. But John says he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. People are saying to me today, what do you think about Jesus Christ Superstar? Well, there's a lot of ideas there, isn't that so? But some of it seems to be rather nice and some of it is far off. Why? But after all, let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to this religion that came out of heaven. What does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? Not what Superstar says, because that is not biblical. That is not all biblical. You and I owe it to Jesus Christ to take a look at him. When we cry out and we say, I need a certainty, I want a sign. And Jesus says, I give it to you. It's the greatest. If there was any greater sign that I could give you as evidence, I'd give it. But here it is. And for 2,000 years, this is it. Again, his death, followed by his resurrection. But at least you and I can say this. That when we turn to Jesus Christ, it's not hearsay. Let's take a look at him on the basis of the only authority that we have. Here we are, the first Sunday in the Lenten season, and again, Christ in the temple in Jerusalem, the Passover feast, beginning his ministry. Immediately when he had cleansed the temple, they challenged him. Uh, who died and left you, boss, is what they're saying. Where did you get the authority in these things? For what you're doing, you give us a sign. Let's see some evidence of that again. You are what you claim. And today you and I may again not in a hostile spirit, but we may say, Jesus, I wish you'd give me a sign. I, I, I long for certainty. I want to know that when I put all my eggs in one basket and when I put my faith and my trust in you, that I'm not going to awaken on the day of my death and be horribly disillusioned and disappointed. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Are you asking me for a sign? Are you asking me for some evidence? Are you asking me for an external miracle? Jesus says, I'll give it to you, just as he gave it nearly 2,000 years ago. My death. Followed by my resurrection, you're saying, but that, that isn't good enough. Uh, that doesn't seem to be conclusive. That doesn't be, seem to be convincing. And Jesus says, name me a greater one. 
I challenge you, Jesus says, you name me a, a greater, a greater miracle. Name me a greater sign. Christ would assure him that this, this, this is the greatest of all. Jesus would tell us, if there was any greater sign I could give you, I'd give it to you. But this is the grandest. Why? Because in the second place, Christ wants you and me to know this. That his death followed by his resurrection, this is the sign, the evidence that proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that the purpose of his death, whatever it was, that it was fulfilled successfully. You and I say, but he died and he rose again. He died and this was followed by his resurrection. The very fact that he was alive after he died, whatever his death meant, why he must have accomplished the purpose or he would never have risen. And then we say to ourselves, what was the purpose of his death? And we turn to him. Why did you die? Well, you go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah, you know, lived 700 years before the Christian era. In the 53rd chapter, he tells us, he says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Do you want anything any plainer than that? We say, Jesus, what was the purpose of your death? And Jesus says, I, God, died for you. On the cross, I took your place. I was your substitute. I was bruised and I died for you. I took your guilt and I took your punishment. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came as a ransom for many. On the cross, I bore hell and damnation for you. On the cross, because I did it for you and for the entire human race being God, I merited a robe of righteousness whiter than snow for the entire human race. You and I can say just as certain as the Christ that died, who arose again, that purpose had to be accomplished because he was the victor. He came back alive. And therefore, what is the assurance that we have? Jesus says, you're asking me today for a sign. You're asking me for some evidence. Well, I'll give it to you. Here is the evidence that is absolutely invincible. It proves beyond the shadow of a doubt it's the greatest I could give you because there isn't any evidence greater what is it that his religion, again, it offers you and me a Savior who really has life and salvation to give? That's not true in any other religion on the face of the earth. You name me another religion, I don't care what you name, that has a Savior who has eternal life to give. You name me one. I don't care how brilliant you are, how many religions you have studied in anthropology. You name me one religion that has a Savior who has deliverance from hell and the gift of eternal life to give and who proved it by a resurrection from the dead. You can't do it. There is one thing that is distinct in the Christian faith. It's got a Christ, a Savior, who died and who came back from the grave. No other religion has that. That's why it stands and when Christ says, No man cometh unto the Father but by me, you and I can stake our eternal destiny on the Christian faith, on the Christian religion. It's the only religion in God's world that's got a Savior that really has eternal life to give. Go into any other one. Man gropes within himself. Man gropes and he groans. When I was down in Egypt in the Valley of the Kings, down in Luxor and in King Tut's tomb, this was forcibly brought to mind in the tomb that they hewed out of stone when he was buried. They tell me it was loaded. There wasn't a square inch in his tomb, but, but it was loaded with precious things, gold and silver and bronze, and to placate his gods that made me by giving his gods all those 
precious things that he might be able to inherit some kind of joy beyond the grave. Groping. I don't care what religion it is. There is one alone that's got a Savior that proves by his resurrection that he's got eternal life to give. You can stake your soul on him. Sometimes we, again as Christians, we, we, we always stand in weakness and we say, oh, I'm just hoping. I, I just wish I could be sure. Why can't you and I be sure about him? He stood in the temple that day. When they challenged him, where do you get that way? Who died and left you, boss? Where do you get the authority? And Jesus says, when they ask him for a sign, I'll give it to you. Destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. And it came later, he told it in advance. And he says to you and me, when we cry, so Jesus, why don't, why don't you give me some proof? Give me some evidence so that I can put my teeth in. Let me know, because I'm going to have to face death. And I've got a lot of troubles and a lot of difficulties in life. And if I could just be sure that your religion is true, and Jesus says, what more do you want? My death, followed by my resurrection, it's the greatest. Because again, it gives you and me the incontestable proof. We've got a Savior who has eternal life to give. And therefore, we ought to do this this morning. In all the whims and the things of doctrine and the winds of doctrine today, we may say, how in the world can you keep your sanity and keep your faith with all the junk that you're reading in the names of religion? And boy, we're reading. You know, someone has said America is the land of sex and insects. By the way, that's S-E-C-T-S, not S-E-X for the change. What do you mean by S-E-C-T-X? America is the land of sex. That means any number of little groups here that everybody claiming they've got the true religion. And here again, these little sects and insects, and we've got plenty, we've got almost as many religions as we've got insects. You and I may say, how in the world can I be sure? We need a touchstone, don't we? Oh, any number of you call me and you've investigated a new one. Uh, somebody goes off the haywire and goes back into Babylon, they pick up a heathen god and they start to worship him. This is the greatest. And somebody else goes over in Phoenicia and they pick up a Phoenician god and this is the greatest. And somebody goes off the deep end in the name of Christianity and you call and say, what about it? Listen, if you haven't got time to read them all, then you haven't. Be sure you have a touchstone. Remember when the prospector for gold went out looking for gold? How did he know when he was digging for gold, whether it was gold or fool's gold, whether it wasn't? He carried a touchstone with him, didn't he? He carried a stone that, again, resembled granite. And he would carry that touchstone, he'd pick up what he thought may be gold, and he would rub it on the touchstone. And depending upon the mark that it made on the touchstone, he could tell whether it was gold or fool's gold. About time in your life and mine that we have a touchstone. And let me tell you what it is. The touchstone is the death, followed by the resurrection of Christ. When you call me and you say, how about this really? Isn't this just as good as Christianity? I put it on the touchstone and I say, does it have a Savior? Does it have a Savior who is God? Does it have a Savior who died? Does it have a Savior who lives? If it doesn't, it's crazy. Let me assure you with all the strength of my soul. I don't care what you believe. When you've got a religion without a Christ who is divine, without a cross, and without an empty tomb, that will damn just as sure as God lives. 
and I don't intend to mince any words. You rub it on the touchstone, and if it doesn't have a divine Savior, and it hasn't one who died, and it doesn't have one who lives, if they're all dead, and every last one of them's got them that died, it's spurious. It's false. When you and I will keep the touchstone, we'll keep our sanity and we'll have this assurance that nobody's going to delude us. I've had men say to me, how long are you going to keep preaching the simple gospel? How long are you going to keep preaching the cross? Well, let me tell you, by the grace of God, I'm going to keep preaching it till the cows come home or till he comes again. Why? Because from the depth of my soul, I know this. When you ask about his authority, he's given you and me the sign. There isn't any better. His death followed by his resurrection. Don't ask him for anything better. They're just eat. This is it. I hope that's clear. When you and I use it as a touchstone, nobody's going to shake your faith in mine. Don't ever let anybody do it. All this other window docking, itching ears, I know it's great stuff. But again, if it doesn't have a Christ that died and a Christ who arose from the dead, it's a damnable lie. It comes from hell, not from heaven. When you and I stand and we sit in church and people may laugh at us and say, how can you believe what you believe? And on this Sunday we say, we may do it in sincerity, we may say to Jesus, Jesus, I wish, you'd, I wish you'd give me some kind of a sign. I wish you'd give me some kind of evidence, external, I can put my teeth into it, uh, that I can know that you've got authority in religious things and that your religion is true and that it's the only true one and it's reliable and it's trustworthy and that I can really stake my soul and I'll never be disappointed. And Jesus says, well, our son, daughter, I, I, I did that nearly 2,000 years ago and there's none better. My death followed by my resurrection. Why? Well, it's the greatest because Jesus wants you and me to know that his death followed by his resurrection. This was a sign. This was evidence that proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that he conquered the grave. I've got to say this. Well, he died and he arose again. He must have conquered the grave. He came back from the grave. And therefore, it gives me this assurance beyond the shadow of a doubt that if he conquered the grave, he's going to come back again. And he's going to raise my body from the dead. Strange as that may seem. Even though my earthly elements again may have been dissolved in the dust and been washed away, nevertheless, because he conquered the grave, I know my body is going to be raised from the dead. And I know that in him it will be an incorruptible body. And through faith in him, I know that an eternal joy awaits. This is the faith that maketh not ashamed. Jesus says, you know of any evidence that's any better than that? It's invincible. It's incontestable. It is incontrovertible, let me assure you. Jesus says, you want to know where I get my authority? You want to know why I want you to know that my religion is true and it's the only true one on the face of the earth, but I don't compromise it with any other religion? Jesus said, you want a sign? You want something to give you incontestable proof? I'll give it to you. My death followed by my resurrection is tremendous. He lives. And it ought to mean this, that you and I don't know him. 
There's no reason to hesitate. All that we need to do is turn to him, and there's one thing we can be sure of, as sure as we are that we're alive and that God lives. He is the Savior. His religion is the only true one. There isn't any other religion that is true. Let's stand. It isn't a syncretistic thing that you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Oh, no. Christ never compromised his truth with anybody. We ought to tell him that we're sorry, and we ought to commit ourselves to him without fear. We can have the assurance again as we come to the Lord's Supper that he who is alive, he does still give us his body and blood, assuring you and me is the living Christ here is my body and blood that I offer you a long life pathway that you're mine, that you're saved because my body and blood are the two erasers whereby I give you the personal assurance of that again it washes off of your soul and keeps off of your soul every dirty stinking thing you've ever done. This is what it means. And then it means this joy. But when death comes, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to say, supposing I'm going to be disillusioned. Supposing I wake up and this thing's just a mad dream. Supposing I wake up and, oh, he fails me. That isn't going to happen. I like to think of St. Paul. Sometimes we say, what made him the giant that he was? I think of St. Paul or Paul of Tarsus when he was Saul, an educated man. And oh, if there was ever an educated man that hated Jesus Christ, he did he hated him with a vengeance to him. Jesus was the greatest imposter that ever came on this world's land, and he was going to kill anybody that ever mentioned his name. And he went on to Damascus, you know, and breathing threats and warnings. And again, when you stand on that way to Damascus where he was, I tell you, you kind of feel like you want to get down here. And he, here he was, hated him, and suddenly there was a, a light, and he fell off of his beast of burden and he heard a voice say Saul Saul why persecutest thou me and he said who are you Lord and the answer came back I'm Jesus what turned him he saw Jesus the Christ that died arose again and Paul saw him on the Damascus way if you want to know the secret this was it he accepted he accepted the sign the only sign that Jesus has ever given. I who died, I rose again. And he let Paul see him. And Paul said, I, I saw him. And oh, God, what a difference it made in that man's life. Talk about a right about faith. I mean, the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. That little Jew from Tarsus almost single-handedly won the world for Jesus Christ. Spent again two years in a horrible dungeon over in Caesarea. I was in that thing part of a hellhole for two years, up in Rome, another two years in jail. Why? But he had seen the Lord. You ask him, how do you know that Jesus is true? And Paul would say, why, God knows, there's no doubt about it. I saw him. I saw him on the Damascus way, and I stood in Rome in the cathedral built over the place where his head was chopped off. And all he needed to have done that day to have saved his life was to have thrown a pinch of salt over his shoulder and to say, I reverence and give honor to Caesar and I worship him. And they'd have saved him, but oh, what did he say? I, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. For I 
reckon that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What did it? One thing. He saw him. Don't you ever forget it. When in your Christian life and mine and everything seems to go haywire and you think you can't go on then you say, well I wonder if Jesus is going to fail me. I wonder if he was an imposter. Let me tell you today. If you and I challenge him, oh Jesus, give me a sign. Give me, again, give me some evidence that you are what you say you are. And Jesus says, I have. It's the greatest. You know I'll never disappoint you. I died and I rose again. And then nothing else matters. Now does it really? Nothing else matters in your life and mine. When we can be sure of him, and he'll never double-cross us, we'll never be disillusioned, and when we die, he'll be standing there, holding your hand in mine. Let's walk the glory road in this Lenten season. Let's walk it in courage and in certainty. When we've got his hand as we look at him, he who is God, let's sing to him, O God, how great thou art. How great thou art. How great thou art. That's assurance. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.